I hope you have enjoyed reading about Joseph. I hope that you will continue to read about Joseph if need be. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 15 for an opening passage of Scripture that I've shown you before. I've shown you recently. But I want to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance of why we're doing what we're doing. Psalm 112 certainly finds a fulfillment in Joseph. And I pray that it will find some fulfillment in our midst. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, our beloved brother Paul wrote these words, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Bad things happened to Joseph, but they did not deter Joseph from following the Lord with his whole heart, from resisting temptation and sin with all his might, and from being the most generous, compassionate, and forgiving person we find in the Old Testament. Those things were written for our learning. We want to learn from them. Come over to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm doing what Paul told me to do, and that's taking up this study from the Old Testament for us to learn. It never gets old. There's something about the Word of God that never gets old. Last night, I sat with a very small family of mine, and we read chapter after chapter, and it still is pleasant. It's exciting to read the Word of God, even though I've read it many times before. I'm not bragging about that. It's just I've been through it a few times in my 50 years, and to, and to read it again, it's, it's almost new. It's so exciting to see God's mercy upon this man's life and to see his faithfulness to his Lord right. and to see his generous, loving kindness toward his brethren. Oh, that we can be as kind to our enemies. Lord, help us. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told why we have the chapter. It's in verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Paul wants to illustrate the power and greatness of faith by showing some of the Old Testament saints that had great faith and how they defeated great enemies, overcame great obstacles, and won great battles, and did exploits for their God. So we're told in the second verse that the list that follows are the elders of the Old Testament that obtained a good report. And it's God giving this report card. Paul just wrote it down for us. If you come over to verse 22, we have a man that we're thinking about and reading about right now. By faith, Joseph, when he died at 110 years of age, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. He had great faith in God's promises that he was going to deliver his people out of Egypt to the land of Canaan. He said, don't you dare leave me here. Egypt's been good to me, but I don't want to be that good to them. You take my bones in a casket back to Canaan and put it in the ground over there. And they did. And the Lord tells us that he did that by faith. And we know by reading about Joseph, he did a whole lot more things by faith than just this. This is the one that the Lord mentions. You know, before Joseph, we had Jacob. And as you look at verse 21, you look at verse 22, you think there might be some verses missing in between? Where's Reuben? Where's Simeon? Where's Levi? Where's Judah? The tribe of Judah was the greatest tribe of Israel. The tribe of Levi was right there with a different purpose. But the boys themselves, no comparison. No comparison. Joseph excelled them all. 
And that, I want to encourage you toward that. Out of Jacob's twelve sons, only one of those boys was worthy of mention in Hebrews 11. And it's Joseph. Aspire to greatness, young men. Aspire to greatness, older men. Let's not settle for being average, for being mean with the Lord. Let's be great. Not for our praise. Not for our honor. Not for our name. For His name. For His glory. Don't we, when we look at the life of Joseph, want to lift up the God of heaven? That there was such a man? Let's aspire to greatness like Joseph did and was. You know what verse 38 says in this chapter, and I've made mention of it already. It says in parentheses, by the Holy Spirit, parentheses, of whom the world was not worthy. Verse 38. Joseph was too good for this world. Don't you think so? He was too good for this world, of whom the world was not worthy. The Lord made him that way. But do you know what? If you're born again this morning, the Lord made you able to be a Joseph. He hath given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness by His divine power. Second Peter chapter 1. You can be like Joseph. We want to learn some things about Joseph so that we can copy them. I come to chapter 12 and verse 1. Here's Paul drawing a conclusion from his 40 verses of chapter 11. He said, wherefore, he wrote, wherefore, because of what I just wrote you about those elders, because of what I just wrote you about Joseph, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In this verse, the Apostle Paul appeals to the Greek games or other games, where there would be bleachers encircling a track. And all of chapter 11 are in the bleachers. They've run their race. They've run it well. They won. Some barely won. Samson's in that list. And some other men are in that list. But we want to think about Joseph. You're in a stadium. The bleachers are filled with Hebrews chapter 11. And the others that are not listed there by name. Because Paul said, time would fail me to tell of all the others that belong here. And the Lord, through Paul, tells us, seeing that we have this crowd that's already run their race, and we have their life experiences recorded for us in the Bible, let us come to the starting line of our race and take away the weights. Lay aside every weight. You know, runners strip down to the bare minimum to be able to run as fast as they can. Nike makes special shoes for the likes of men like Michael Johnson. Four ounces. When he ran that world record in 1986 in Atlanta, his shoes weighed four ounces. say, how do they even stay on? Well, they work hard at that because they want to get rid of every ounce to help a man run. We need to lay aside every weight. What is weighing you down from being like Joseph? What is weighing you down from excelling and from running the race that God has given us? Is it friends? Is it reading? Is it television? Is it your thoughts? Is it some sin in your life? We're not even to sin yet, but what activity is weighing you down? Is it your job? Is it your business? We want to lay aside every weight so that we can run the only race that really matters. This race. And a sin which doth so easily beset us. Sin easily besets us all, but sometimes we have sins that beset us more easily than others. And we want to get rid of those sins. What sins do you need to cut off in your life in addition to 
lightening your life. Are you with me when I say that? Lightening your life by getting rid of some of the things that consume your time and your energy. Lighten your life and then cut off things out of your life so that you can run this race. By the grace of God, I would love to get into Hebrews 11. By the grace of God, I would love all of you in Hebrews 11. And I hope you have that desire for me. I hope we pray one for another to get into Hebrews 11. You know what I mean. In the sight of God. We have a race to run. And let's run it with patience. That means we're going to have some obstacles. We're going to get tired. But we're going to endure. We're going to be patient. We're going to keep going. We're not going to let anything waylay us from being like Joseph. We're going to always be compassionate, always be generous, always be forgiving, always be charitable, always be full of faith, always be diligent on the job, always be faithful, full of integrity, always be honest, always hate sin, always say no. Patient, enduring affliction in a way to please God, enduring trials and temptations. Let's run this race. What in the world have we come together for this morning? But to hear this, to hear this exhortation, not mine. This is God's exhortation to us. He has a hall of fame. It's called the hall of faith. You took a little passageway through the first hall. There's many more halls in it that Paul didn't spend more verses to write more names. You can be in that hall. Samson's there to encourage you, but don't be like Samson. Joseph's there to provoke you to be great. And let's be like Joseph. Come over to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, please. Oh, what a picture in that first verse of Hebrews 12. A stadium. And the bleachers are filled with the saints that have gone before us. The verse doesn't tell us that they're up in heaven watching everything we're doing. It just says that seeing that we've got them, we ought to be living in a way worthy of them. We don't know. We're not told very much about them, whether they can watch us or not. But it doesn't matter whether they're watching us or not. I know someone who is. I know the Lord's watching, and He's the one that hands out the awards. That's why Paul says, I press! I press! For the prize. I press toward the mark. For the prize. Of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Can you see a runner straining? Oh, there's good metaphorical language in the Bible that gives us pictures that should impress us and should explain to us the effort. What is hindering you today? What is burdening your life? What is weighing you down? What sin has encroached upon your relationship with God that you and I together can shed before this, before these few hours are over and we can go out and be a Joseph for the glory of God? Psalm 37 and verse 37, I've shown you this one as well. Repetition is how we learn. Psalm 37, 37, mark the perfect man. And behold the upright. Mark him means to find him, identify him, and say that is a perfect man. And then watch him and behold the upright. Behold him. Look at him. Take a peek. Watch. Behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. The blessing of that man is going to be a peaceful life, a prosperous life, as we had read to us from Psalm 112, 115, 128, 145. Are you with me? Right here it is. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. 
Sometimes we'll have those men in our congregation. Paul said that in Philippians chapter 3. He said, mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. He said, there are in the church at Philippi some men like me, that if you will watch them and copy what they do, you will end up being like me, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's all in Philippians chapter 3. Sometimes they're in the Bible. And the one we're going after today is in the Bible. Joseph, Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright. Let's take a look at Joseph. Let's, let's count up what things he did and what happened to him. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Yes, we do. We certainly do. He had a burial different from his brothers, didn't he? His brothers got, his brothers got their bones dumped in Egypt. Joseph was in Canaan. On, just on and on. The list is so long. It's wonderful to read those 14 chapters from Genesis 36 to the end of the book. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Before you get to go to bed tonight, and while you're in bed, you're going to have a thousand choice chances to be like Joseph. A thousand of them. They just keep happening. Every conversation you have. Are you like Joseph? Are you forgiving? Are you merciful? Are you gracious? Do you lend? Do you show favor? Are you kind? Are you gentle? Are you faithful? Are you full of integrity? Are you honest? In everything you do. A thousand of them before you get to go to bed tonight. And then guess what? When you're laying in bed, you're going to start thinking about things. Are you going to think about them the way that Joseph would think about them? Do you know I know how Joseph thought? Do you know how Joseph thought? Yes, you do. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And the good things that came out of his mouth were first found in his heart. They were found in his bed when he, when he communed with his own heart. Oh, every day. What would Joseph do in this situation? Joseph isn't our Savior. I'm not making him out to be our Savior. I'm just following the Bible and going back and marking the perfect man and beholding the upright and seeing that his end is peace. And it certainly was peaceful. His whole family was brought to peace. He had a great family reunion. He got to hug on his dad's neck and entertain him for 17 years in the land of Goshen. What a wonderful family reunion. It's a wonderful story. And before the day ends, you're going to have many, many opportunities to be like Joseph. So we've got to learn. What did Joseph do? I've already given you eight things this morning from Second Peter chapter 1 that I'm supposed to remind you of, but we're going to see those things in Joseph's life. We're going to put some flesh on them because he's going to do them. You know, I've heard sermons about the types of Jesus Christ found in Joseph. That isn't Bible preaching. That's Bible imagining. Paul never did anything like that. Right. To preach types of Jesus Christ in Joseph is to enter into an arena of creativity that has no fence or bounds. And I will take your little illustrations and tear them apart because you're doing something that Scripture does not allow you to do. And there's no profit in it. Why would I go to a shadow to show you the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why not go right into the New Testament, which is the record and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, and go straight to what it says about Him? I've heard those messages. I've read those messages. They've never helped me. They're just a game at creativity. I'm doing what the Bible tells me to do. Go back and mark the perfect man. Behold the upright. See what he does and copy what he does. Because the end of that man is peace. And it was written for our learning in righteousness. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Not that we might learn about Jesus Christ more. The way to learn about Jesus Christ is to go read about Jesus Christ. 
I don't want to take the 20 pieces of silver and go through some mathematical extrapolation that it really means 30 pieces of silver and they were both betrayed. They went to... No, 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 no. We don't do that. We don't do that. I'm sorry that there's people that do that. We want to follow the Bible and use the Bible the way the Bible tells us to use it. When we preach Jesus Christ, we will look at those passages of Scripture God gave us that are about Jesus Christ. When we're looking to learn practical godliness, which is what we are trying to do today, we will look at those men and those records of elders that obtained a good report that God put in the Bible for us to learn about godliness and righteousness. And that's where we'll go. We'll not mix the two, lest we be confused on both counts. I ask you today, do you like the word mean? I don't mean an angry man. I mean an average man. Do you want to be average? Do you want to be average? Lord, save us from mediocrity. Save us from being average. Let's be a prince in Zion, like Joseph. Do you want to be like Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Issachar, Zebulun? Or do you want to be like Joseph? We've got to lay aside the weight. We've got to lighten up your life. We've got to get rid of the sin, and we've got to run a race. And we need to find out where is the course. And the course is told us by reading the last 14 chapters of Genesis. It tells us the course of how to run a race to be like Joseph. I've told you many things about him that he did when he was 17. And his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. In his early 20s, he served Potiphar and served him well. And was advanced there over all that he owned. In his mid-20s, sometime in his 20s, we don't know exactly when. Mrs. Potiphar tried to seduce him and with those trials I left you a couple of weeks ago. I want to come back to that for just a moment. In Genesis chapter 39, Genesis chapter 39, we have Mrs. Potiphar, his boss's wife, trying to seduce Joseph to commit adultery with her, to lie with her, to have sex with her, to go to bed with her. And verse 8 tells us of Genesis 39, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, My master wadeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph showed his hatred for sin and his righteousness. He showed his temperance by denying his flesh. He would have had eyes that could have seen a beautiful woman. He was in his 20s. He had the lust of the flesh, full of testosterone. He denied his flesh. He denied his eyes. He denied the pride of life of seducing a ranking woman in Egypt. He was great. He was great. And we want to be like him. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. There is a political party in our country and a way of thinking and a philosophy of civil government called libertarianism. It's the Libertarian Party. I don't want to get off on this more than a couple of minutes. and You'll understand why in just a moment. Many things that they stand for in the way that they would run the financial side of our government, we can agree with. But when it comes to issues of morality, when it comes to issues of adultery, they have no position. 
They say it's a victimless crime. Nobody got hurt. They were two consenting adults. Ever heard those words? Two consenting adults should be able to do whatever they want to do. It's just casual sex. We've got rid of all the puritanical influences of religion that restrains men from having a good time. So in a libertarian way of thinking, because there was no victim that they can recognize with their profane eyes, they allow it. They say as long as it's two consenting adults, what crime has been committed? I'll tell you, Joseph answered that question in what I just read to you. Two to start with. Potiphar, God. My master has put me in responsibility for all that he has. He trusts me. He trusts me. He hasn't given you to me because you're his wife. How could I commit this great wickedness of violating his trust and God is a victim and sin against God? Because God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's all that needs to be said in the subject. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The libertarian philosophy is damnable. It's from hell. And it's of the devil. I've read many books for many, not not in a long time, many years ago. Read many books. I appreciate some of the things they've written on economics. But when it comes to morality, they don't have a clue. They are wrong and they're from hell. And we cannot even think any way like that. And Joseph nails it down. You didn't know that he taught political science, did you? Joseph taught political science. When it comes to the sin of adultery, I cannot sin against my master who's trusting me. And I cannot sin against the God of heaven who said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Potiphar and God would be the victims. Thank the Lord for Joseph. Mark the perfect man. Behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Let's come to chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. At 28, we know his age now. We didn't know it for a while. It was just in his early 20s. We know it's 28 now. How do we know it's 28? Because how old was he when he stood before Pharaoh? 30. And how long did the butler forget about him? Two. He's 28. He's 28 and he's running the prison system for the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. He's keeping the prison. All the things that are there are put in his hand. Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. He was the head of the Department of Correction of Pharaoh's government. I mean, his horn shall be exalted. Did it say that? His horn shall be exalted. The horn is a synecdoche for a man... Men don't have horns, I know that. But the horn in the Bible, sometimes it's this, because that's by which we make a noise, and horns make noise. Sometimes it's the horn, like a unicorn, or any other beast that has antlers, because it's, it's, it's the image of male superiority and power, and the ability to accomplish something. That horn is going to be exalted, and Joseph was exalted, even in prison, because his heart was fixed, he was trusting in the Lord. His heart was established, no evil tidings bothered him. Are we going to always be like Joseph? Sometimes evil things arise, come to us. Your husband's been in an auto accident. Meet us at the emergency room of Greenville Memorial. 
Do you recall? It could happen again. No more remarks on that subject. Except to say, I commend you. I know you were scared. We all were scared. But our heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Let's be like Joseph. It was happening to him. He was the one on the way to the emergency room, but it was called the prison instead. Let's be like Joseph. Bad things are going to happen to you. They're going to happen. And brethren, as we age, you know what that means? More are going to happen because they are called the blank days. The evil days. Evil's coming, brethren. I feel it. I see it. You see it. It's coming. Are we, is our heart fixed? Is our heart fixed? Trusting in the Lord. The evil days are coming. Let's be like Joseph. You've been like Joseph all your life. Are you going to be like him till the end of it? Are you all with me on that? The evil days are coming. Let's take a look at Joseph in prison. I told you that I liked verses 5 through 7. And this, I covered this last time, and this is way of review, so we can get caught up here a little bit. Verse 5, And they dreamed a dream. Who dreamed a dream? The butler and the baker. This is a real ruler. He was in a bad mood. So he threw the butler and baker, the chief butler and the chief baker, into prison to get their attention. He thought it would be a good staff lesson. He met with his cabinet. Two of you are going to prison. That gets their attention. The others worked harder that day. I promise you. The Bible tells us that that's the way men work harder. (laughs) They did. Because sentence against evil is not executed speedily. It is in the heart of... I'm, I'm forgetting the verse now, but it's in the heart of man to go ahead and do whatever they were doing. But when there's judgment like this and Pharaoh got their attention... What kind of a birthday party is that? But anyway, we've got a butler and a baker in prison. We come to verse 5. They dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. Verse 6. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Why are you men so sad? I want to start right here. And I know I I gave this to you two weeks ago, but I I want to start here because we've left his great faith and his hatred of sin. We've seen that. I've already preached it to you, and I'm not going to redo that. I I want you to see the gentle side of Joseph, the compassionate side, the emotional side, the tender, the gracious side of him, the perceptive, the empathetic, the sympathetic side of Joseph. Because that's what we need. Because from here on out, do you know the main thing we're going to see? How gracious, merciful, kind, gentle, patient, forgiving, long-suffering Joseph was. Generous. And we want to be like him. And you've got to be full of that to be like Joseph. You've got to be full of that to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, let our speech be always with grace. We're going to see more and more of that. He is the head of a prison. I would love to ask some questions about how often prison guards ask inmates, what are you so sad for today? I don't think it happens very often. Joseph's in charge of the prison. He's there wrongly. Did he, did he apply for a job to work in the prison system? 
Or did he get thrown in there by being falsely accused of raping his master's wife? He was there for the wrong reason. He was a foreigner. He was a Hebrew. The Egyptians hated Hebrews. And he could have been full of hatred, bitterness, and revenge so easily, but he was not. He was not. I know that when somebody wrongs you, you have a reason to be upset at them. Don't you? You have a reason to be upset. There's principle involved here. You know what I've told you about PRI that starts out that word. It's only pride that's involved that causes you to think you've got a reason to be upset with someone. Joseph wasn't. He inquires about them. Why are you so sad today? And that shows us a tender, delicate, wonderful, loving spirit. And we want to have that in the midst of no way am I going to bed with you. That would be sinning against my master and against God. Brothers, I had a dream. And I'm going to tell you my dream, though you're not going to like it. There were 11 sheaves out in the field, and yours all bowed down to mine. We know all that about Joseph, but there's another side to Joseph as well. Loving, generous, kind, gracious, merciful, charitable. Let's have both. Oh, he knew the truth. And he would stand for the truth. And we're going to see that as well. But we want to see this gentler side of Joseph. I don't want you to get in touch with your feminine side. I want you to get in touch with your Joseph side. I don't. All that language of the world makes me sick. What man wants to get in touch with his feminine side? I want to get in touch with my feminine wife, but not my feminine side. Let's be like Joseph. He had a gentle side. So did David. Did you ever see David's compassion and gentleness? How he wept for Saul and Jonathan. How could you weep for Saul? Could you weep for a man that had chased you around for a number of years like a dog so that you had to go live among the Philistines, but when he died, you wept and wept for him? It wasn't just Jonathan. It was for Saul as well. Verse 8, And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray. What can we learn from that? Joseph, in prison, with two men who worshipped other gods, had no fear or shame to talk about his God, and that he had a relationship with that God. Now, when was the last time you spoke to a colleague of this world or some companion, neighbor, friend, or whatever, not a friend, and said that only God knows that and God has already spoken on that issue and I know and love that God and He loves me? When did you ever say anything like that? Joseph said that to these Egyptians in prison. He was not ashamed of his God at all. He said, you don't have the interpretation of it because interpretations come from the God of heaven. My God. Jehovah. Not that sphinx you've got out there in the sand. That thing couldn't figure out anything. It had to be made and and carried there. Only God gives interpretations. And I know that God. This showed His great reverence for God and His confidence in His relationship with the Lord. Do we have that ourselves? Can we speak that way? Not, Not arrogantly. Not haughtily. Not proudly. But thankfully. And reverently, there's a God in heaven. I know the answer to that question. There's a God in heaven, and He's shown me that. 
Do you know you, do you know that you have answers to many questions that the world asks and can't answer? Because you've got the Bible. The Lord's written you a letter. You have more than Joseph had. He didn't have a Bible. Well, you know what God said on that subject? And I believe God because He's shown it to me and He's convinced me of it. That's how we ought to speak. That's how Joseph spoke. He was not ashamed of his religion even when he was dealing with pagans. He showed his reverence and his confidence in his relationship. And so he told them the true interpretation of their dreams in verses 8 down through verse 19. I'm not going to read it all to you. Joseph heard their dreams out and he explained them to them. Pharaoh's going to lift up your two heads. Well, that sounds exciting. One of you is going to get restored to his job and that's the way your head's going to get lifted back up. You're going to be back in there serving the cup to Pharaoh. Butler, your head's going to be lifted up because you're going to be promoted back out of this prison. You're going to serve Pharaoh again. Baker, you're going to be promoted too. Your head's going to be lifted up. Pharaoh's going to hang you and the birds are going to come and eat you while you're hanging there. Now what I want to point out from this is Joseph told the true interpretation of their dreams. Showing the fear of God and the love of the truth. There would have been a tendency to modify the message to comfort the crowd. There would have been a tendency to tell the butler his interpretation and say, I'm still working on the other one. Can you come back tomorrow, Baker? Do you remember Eli? When he called Samuel in and he knew that the Lord had spoken to Samuel during the night, he said, Little man, you tell me everything that God told you. Because he knew that there would be a temptation for Eli not to want to tell his master what was going to happen to him. Samuel was faithful. Do you know what it says about Samuel? He was in favor with God and men. I want you to know that. He was one of the princes of Zion. And so was Joseph. And I want you, as you read through these chapters, I'm not straining for gnats. I'm beholding the upright and marking the perfect man. Because I see the temptation that could have been in his heart to not want to tell the baker everything. But he honored God because God had just revealed truth to him. And he told them the truth anyway. His love of God, his fear of God, and his love of the truth meant that he told them the whole thing. Verse Genesis chapter 40 and verse 14. Let's dive into the middle of that explanation of their interpretation and find another character trait. But... He tells the butler, after he has told the butler he's going to be promoted, he says in verse 14, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. That tells us that it wasn't a country club that put him into the dungeon there. Those two verses are the use of means. He was wise. He didn't just rely on prayer. He knew the butler was going to have Pharaoh's ear. I've been kind to you, butler. When you get back with Pharaoh, will you help get me out of here? That is something taught in the Bible. To use means. Because God blesses means. God does not expect us to sit around and give us a job into our lap while we're sitting in our lazy boy. After we have done our reasonable best to find a job, then we sit in our lazy boy, we turn it all over the Lord, we refuse to eat the bread of sorrows, and He gives a job then. 
But see, Joseph was not going to just go to his prayers that night and say, Lord, get me out of this dungeon. I don't belong here. He, he took the butler and said, listen, I've just done something good for you. I've told you, and you're going to have something even better done for you. You're going to be promoted. Help me get out of here. And that's wisdom. I remember when Absalom had chased David, his father, out of Jerusalem. And David's great counselor, Ahithophel, chose to remain behind with Absalom. And Ahithophel's counsel was like the counsel of God in those days. Ahithophel was an incredibly wise counselor. Incredibly wise. They would turn to him, forget E.F. Hutton. When Ahithophel spoke, men listened. David prayed, God, overrule the counsel of Ahithophel. Because if Ahithophel gives counsel to Absalom, he is going to destroy me. Then what did he do? He sent Hushai, another counselor, back to feign, to pretend that he was loyal to Absalom so that he could give his counsel as well. You remember? And oh, was Hushai a rather eloquent orator when the case demanded it? He gets in there and spins this big sob story about how tough David is and he's going to be like a bear robbed of her whelps and the only way you're going to ever be able to take him is to have an instituted draft and take about six months to get yourself together, an army so big with you at the head of it, Absalom, you'll be able to tie any city that he goes into and hides, you'll be able to tie ropes around it and drag it into a river. Oh, Absalom said, sounds good. I don't like the counsel of Ahithophel. Ahithophel said, listen, the man's so unorganized right now, you can go whip him, take him easily. Absalom said, I don't like you. Ahithophel's counsel, I like Cushay's. Ahithophel went home and hung himself because no one had ever told him before that his counsel wasn't good. Does God overthrow the counsel of the wicked? Well, this, did you, did you say something recently about Bible entertainment? It was not planned, was it? I mean, it was not coordinated. That is entertaining. That is entertaining in the Bible. David on his knees. And this is exactly how we should approach things like this. Lord, defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Putting it in the Lord's hands and then taking steps to overthrow that counsel himself. Joseph, Lord, you know I don't belong in this prison. I have done nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong to my brothers. I did nothing wrong to Potiphar. Help get me out of here. Butler, when you've got Pharaoh's ear, help me get out. There's wisdom in that. Do you understand that? We pray and we do. How much do we do? Just a reasonable effort. Because it doesn't depend upon you. It's, Lord, defeat thou for me the counsel of Ahithophel. What other verses would we turn to? We'd turn to Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord gets you out of the dungeon, no means are going to work. It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to talk to the butler any longer, for he giveth his beloved sleep. Are you following my corruption of that verse for you to understand it? When there is a dilemma in your life, you take it to the Lord and beg him to help you, and then you use whatever means he conveniently brings to your hand. If you look for more means and you get all upset and you're eating the bread of sorrow and you're getting up too early and you're staying up too late and you're straining and striving yourself, you've gone too far, the Lord's going to step back. Because he's going to say, oh, you're trying to do it on your own. A reasonable effort, a consistent effort, a godly effort. 
with what opportunities He puts in your, in your way and then turn it over to the Lord. Joseph knew that, understood it, and did it. Let's come to chapter 41 before we take our break. Chapter 41. What have we learned in chapter 40? Joseph was so sympathetic, he saw the sad faces of his enemies and showing his humility and compassion and neighborly love. He asked them about their faces. He didn't have any arrogance, no hatred, no revenge, no distance. He was sincerely concerned for his enemies. If you want to be like your Father in heaven, this is a prince in the world of whom the world is not worthy. The last six verses or five verses of Matthew chapter 5 tell us, love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Bless them that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Joseph knew how to do that. When he had a horrible message to deliver, he knew it was the truth of God and he delivered it to the baker anyway. He was not ashamed to admit that God only controlled dreams and their interpretations. And so he was able to speak of the God of heaven as being the one that was in charge of dreams, and he had a personal relationship with that God, and therefore they could tell him their dreams. And then he showed his prudence and wisdom, and not only trusting the Lord to get him out of prison, but asking that butler to help him. You know chapter 41. You're supposed to know this from reading these chapters. Chapter 41, Pharaoh had a dream this time. The Lord arranges all these things, though the butler forgot him, the Lord hadn't forgot him. And who do you want to remember you best? The butler or the Lord? The Lord, Lord, because then the timing is perfect. At the age of 30, we know that for a fact, because the Bible tells us Pharaoh asked Joseph to interpret his dream. But he denied that he had any ability to do it. And he gave Pharaoh a message of peace. Verse 14 of chapter 41. Then Pharaoh, Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Here again, standing before a pagan king, that with a look of his eye, a raising of his hand, could take Joseph's life, who worshipped other gods, Joseph was not ashamed to admit that he knew a God that could interpret dreams, because the magicians of Egypt could not interpret dreams. So he created a religious conflict right there on the spot, but he was unashamed to do so. Now, we do not do this to alienate people foolishly. But when an opportunity arises, we should be thankful to speak about our God. You know, there, there are statements made today that we can all get along as, we don't talk, if, as long as we don't talk about politics or religion. Ever heard that? Well, I wonder why Joseph forgot that standing there before Pharaoh. He forgot all about that, didn't he? He brought up religion right off the bat. He said in verse 16, It is not in me. It certainly isn't in your magicians. That was already understood. But it's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, do you know if Joseph had had any bitterness or revenge or hatred in his heart 
for all that had happened to him over the last 13 years, he wouldn't have wanted to give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He said, I can't figure this one out. You say, I would... Oh, no, think about it. You have been in a dungeon. You've been forgotten by the butler for two whole years. You were in that dungeon because there was a mistrial. You had been falsely accused and convicted. And you were perfectly innocent. There would be a great temptation to fudge on giving an answer of peace to your enemy. But not Joseph. The truth. The truth. The truth is what's to come out. Joseph showed his great humility. It's not in me. I am nothing. Well, now, wait a minute. If you wanted to win your freedom back, wouldn't you want to say, I think I can do it. What will you offer me? I'll make a deal. You get me out of prison, I'll give you the interpretation. Are you with me on all this? Now, you may not think about this when you're just scurrying through it, and Alexander Scorby doesn't stop to help you with this. I like listening to Alexander Scorby. But when you're reading this Bible, I want you to think about the temptations that would have been there. It is not in me. I am nothing. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. It's not me. It's my God that I serve. And you have had a good dream. And God's going to give you an answer of peace. And he blessed his enemies. And them that had put him in prison. He showed his reverence to God. It's not in me. It's in my God. He did not take any credit for it. He showed his respect for authority. He could have called him a pagan. He answered the man's request. Can you interpret my dream? I can't. God can. And it's going to be a good interpretation. He told him right off the bat. He said, and he showed his kindness to his captors and his enemies. Are you able to do this? Sometimes your enemy will be in your family. Sometimes your enemy will be in the church. Sometimes your enemy will be in your neighborhood, your school, your workplace. Can you do that? Can you be kind, loving, and forgiving to your enemies? Are you ashamed of the God of heaven? Are you willing to be nothing in His sight and and He is everything? It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. We can speak that way. And that's the way we should speak. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word and may you all aspire to excellence to be princes in Zion, being like Joseph.